Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a show about technology and contemplating the finer details and their practical application. By exploring real-world trade-offs, we dive into how great ideas can be transformed into products and services that impact our lives. This episode is sponsored by Solver by Aqualia. Solver is an amazing calculation app that works the way your mind does when you're working out a math problem on paper. More powerful than a calculator, simpler and quicker than a spreadsheet, Solver can help you solve your math problem. Visit solver.app and check it out today. This episode is also brought to you by ManyTrix, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit manytricksalloneword.com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. We'll talk more about both of our sponsors during the show. Pragmatic is supported by you, our listeners. If you'd like to support the show, you can by supporting our sponsor or by becoming a premium supporter. Premium support is available via Patreon and through Apple Podcasts channel subscription. Premium supporters have access to early release, high-quality ad-free episodes, as well as bonus material from all of our shows not available anywhere else. We're edging closer to our monthly goal to go advertising-free across the network, but we're going to do that with your help. Pragmatic is also a podcasting 2.0 enhanced show, and with the right podcast player, you can also stream Satoshis and boost with a message as you listen. Just visit engineer.network slash pragmatic to learn how you can help this show to continue to be made. Thank you. Uh, I'm your host, uh, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by my friend, Clay Daly. How you doing, Clay? I'm good. How are you? I am doing fantastically because um, I'm just thrilled to have you back on the show because we last spoke on episode 94 about photography. Yeah, that was 10 episodes ago, I guess. Yeah, I know, 10 episodes, two years. It's been a rough two years, okay? I think globally speaking, that's a fair assessment. Oh, yes. And that has impacted the podcast regularity for me for that and a myriad of other reasons. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, two years, well, it's been about two years. And in those two years, for me, a lot has happened. And I've come, oh, I like to think a long way uh, in with photography. Mm -hmm. So the time is right for us to have another chat, I think. So, so thank you for agreeing to come back on and have a chat about photography again. Anytime. Awesome. Well, last time, just a bit of a recap. So, if you're so, dear listeners, um, if you have not listened to episode ninety four, first of all, shame on you. You really should, <laughs> um, because uh, if, and if you want to go back and have a refresh, you could pause now and go back and have a listen. Mm -hmm. um, it's only a short one; it's only two hours and twenty something minutes. So, don't worry. Um, but we did cover a lot of ground. And one of the things that I, um, I, I, I the, my, my posit, I suppose, from the episode we, last time we spoke, Clay, about this on Pragmatic, was I was putting a question out there. Is it worth buying a, in air quotes, real camera? Uh, or is just a basic smartphone camera going to be enough for me? I think that the conclusion of that episode was that if you want to do something more, advanced than what a smartphone can do it is definitely worth buying a real camera mm -hmm. um you know obviously with the whole thing about saying like a real camera is a device that's dedicated as it's its sole purpose is to do that one thing as well as possible as in be a camera right. so the funny thing is that we did touch on you know like dslrs and mirrorless but one of the things that you said to me at the time was that you wanted to get into mirrorless, you know, a few years ago when I bought the D500. Mm -hmm. 
brand, uh, you're prepared to jump brands to get to a, a really good mirrorless camera. And mm-hmm. and I looked at that at the time and I thought, nah, nah this whole mirrorless thing, I don't know about that. <laughs> but um, what I've increasingly seen in the last two years is that um, the whole revolution in, in digital photography seems to be a mirrorless revolution. It's all it's all going mirrorless. Uh, and there is so much evidence now uh, about that that I don't think you, anyone can deny it anymore. I think right. that DSLRs are on the way out. I mean, and I want to point out that you did call this <laughs> long before I did. So, yeah, um, yeah, kind of nailed that. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, I, I did a little bit of research into, mm-hmm. uh, I know, right? Funny, me, research? Anyway. <laughs> um, I did a little bit of research into uh, just Canon and Nikon or Nikon. However, if I've been mispronouncing it, I, I don't, you know who I mean. I say it both ways, so go ahead. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Come on. Well, 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 well I'm going to stick with Ni- um, Nikon then since that's the way I've always said it. Uh, but anyhow, uh, so I, I found a rumor site, a rumor site that said that the Nikon would be releasing two DSL upgrades in 2021. Um, I haven't seen them yet, so I don't even know if that's true. Um, but I've I've seen it as well, and, and it was a bit baffling to me. But yeah, yeah, but I mean they haven't actually, and it's now September. In fact, You're it's right. late September, so I don't know if that's even true. But if you look at their what they've released in the past, each year, every so many years, um, last I can tell, they haven't released a new DSLR in over three years, I believe if I do my math correctly, from Nikon. Sounds about right. Yeah. So everything they've released has been mirrorless. And they're pimping the Z9 because, well, and, and that's a that's a top-of-the-line mirrorless. Mm-hmm. That's, not a, that's not a DSLR. Right. So then I had to dig into uh, into Canon. And, and Canon aren't developing any more EF lenses. So far as I know, they haven't released any updated EF lenses. Everything... Uh, is is RF mount for their uh, for the mirrorless line? Yep. So, are you are, are, have you heard of any like a Canon? To the best of your knowledge, are they releasing any? I haven't seen. I believe. I mean, you know, Nikon and and Canon both were um, sort of a bit late to the party. Um, mm. And uh, but once they did jump in, I mean, they went big. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and and that's why you see. Uh, uh, the Z9 and the R3 were ba- both of them were sort of dangled in front of the prospective uh, groups because they want to make sure that they kept their base right. They want to make sure that you know that Nikon is going to stick around and work on a camera that's going to be really powerful. Canon is going to work on something really powerful. Canon has finally released theirs. We're waiting for Nikon now to release theirs, and uh, because I mean Sony, Sony jumped in early. Mm. Um, Olympus and Panasonic really jumped in the earliest, but they aren't really the ones people are flocking to because Sony did what they did with you know with the ability to give you uh, a, a really good hybrid system, you know, photography, video. Um, and that's why a lot of people are really into mirrorless, right? Because you could you could have video done without having to set up a whole big rig just to get your DSLR to be able to do video well, right? Mm, for sure. I mean, th- that's an interesting point. I just want to just put a pin in that and we'll, we'll circle back mm-hmm. to it. But um, So one of the other things that we were talking about, um, uh, I think it was a couple episodes ago on, uh, on Bubble Sort, was we were talking about my toying with the idea 
of switching to Canon mm-hmm. just to get to uh, like an R6. Uh, because the, the and the reason that I put at the time was that all of the reviews of Canon uh, were that Canon were better in low light and in uh, autofocus for autofocus tracking, mm-hmm. and that's what I really wanted. And so I was trying to justify, but I, you know, even at the end of that conversation, I hadn't decided to. And since then, I've decided not to do that, and I've stuck with Nikon. Mm-hmm. So. What I ended up doing is uh, I ended up going, uh, okay, before I get to that, <laughs> maybe I should just quickly talk about um, my current cameras. And I can actually say that now because I have multiple, which is, <laughs> I don't know how long that's going to be the case. <laughs> so one of them I own, one of them I'm renting. Mm-hmm. So the one that I own is, of course, my trusty Nikon D500. And I, you know, I moved originally from my original D5500. Mm-hmm. So the D five hundred's got a twenty point nine megapixel CMOS ca- um, uh, CMOS sensor, mm-hmm. and it is a you know DX uh, DSLR. So yeah, APS-C. Right. Um, yeah, the one I have chosen to rent at the moment is a Nikon Z six two. So that's not a Z six one. This is the second generation one, and and the key difference with the Z six two for me is it has two XP six. Uh, processors in it mm-hmm. which means that the essentially the z61 was simply was was just probably crippled I, I, it's it's analogous to the series zero apple watch i think insofar mm-hmm. as it was <laughs> the minimum viable um mirrorless that they could make at the time and it struggled and like with autofocus in particular it had a great sensor but it was terrible at autofocus and a lot of a lot of pro photographers just panned it and said, do not touch it. Same with the Z7. Mm-hmm. The original one. And that was yeah. the original one. Yeah, the Z7, you know, don't don't put a two after it. Well, I mean, because right. they never call it the Z7 one. But, you know, so the Z7, it's like, no, 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 don't touch that. And same with the Z6. And that was what was driving me towards Canon at the time. Mm. But then I started to read more about people's hands-on experiences with the Z6 II and the Z7 II. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, going with the Z6 II for two reasons. Uh, well, obviously, that was the first reason, was that they'd got the autofocus working. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the fact that the Z6 over the Z7 had better low-light performance because it's a 24.5-megapixel backside-eliminated CMOS sensor, mm-hmm. um, which outperformed the Z7, although the Z7 was 45 megapixels. And when we spoke about this, you pointed that out, actually. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, because I was saying, oh, I want the more megapixels in the Z7 so that I can crop. But what, you know, crop to zoom kind of thing because they're both full frames. But in the end, I thought about it. It's like, but I really need that low light. Yeah. And uh, because I, I'm doing indoor basketball photography and I'm doing it in a stadium in that has basically got the worst light you can imagine. I mean, it's not quite as bad as candlelight, but it mm-hmm. it's not that much better. Eh? <laughs> Close it's enough. just so bad I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later but anyway so um so that's what i'm currently using and um and i've been using the z62 now for almost two months not quite been about seven weeks and mm-hmm. it's uh I, I today was my first day using it in cricket um i've used it in multiple many games of um of basketball uh a few games of netball at night as well uh, and this thing for portrait and stills at uh, still photography at nighttime, and it's just like no flash, 
and it's magic. Nice. This thing is incredible. It just it just pulls beautiful photos out of out of the darkness. It's just mm-hmm. incredible. So um so anyway, that's what I'm currently using. Um I'll still talk, talk a little bit more about pros and cons of mirrorlesses in a minute, but uh how about we just quickly run through your what you currently use. And I mean day to days because I know that you've got a wall <laughs> full of cameras. So yeah. um yeah. Not the <laughs> <laughs> yeah so let's go with the day to days um yeah please so i still have my original sony a7 which is what i bought probably 2018 or so mm-hmm. um and i added just recently the a7r4 to that because um when i was shooting events or shooting a portrait the a7 was struggling it's pr- it probably is no better than the z6 original uh in terms of focusing uh you know in 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 low light situations now i i I do lose i do use um external flash sometimes and that that does help um but my main two cameras right now are the a7 r4 which is 61 megapixels and the a7 which is 24 it's a great combo if you actually if you if you have both of those setups uh something where you have uh, the ability to to have you know something because my a7 Technically, the A7 and the A7R4 in terms of low light uh, ability are about the same because uh, the 24 megapixels is really good at gathering light uh, and the A7R4 with 61 megapixels, all these years of, of evolution have made it something that can actually gather you know, enough light. Not, not amazing like you know, a, a, a Z6 II or A7R3 or a7s3 but uh good enough interesting yeah because i know that you've um you're one of the things that you love to do apart from street photography is uh is moon photography mm-hmm. um which you know i've come to appreciate is significantly different to just astrophotography mm-hmm. um i yep. think moon lunar photography has to be um held separate to that mm-hmm. simply because it's just it's it's quite difficult to do it well um, uh, I'm not I sure think. if it's difficult, but it's it it is it is you know astrophotography um, takes actually more more time, right? Moon mm. photography shutter speeds. I mean, we're talking about a bright globe in the sky. The shutter speeds could be a lot higher with uh, with astrophotography. If your shutter speeds are too high, you're not getting anything. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm absolutely agree with that. But I, I guess what I was trying to get at is that the um, what I found is that there's the precision versus the um there's a precision of how 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 accurate the photo can be mm. in terms of the details of each crater every speck of dust on the mm. on the moon's surface mm. versus capturing um kind of like the 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 mood of the moon in contrast with um like clouds and mm-hmm. and and different other you know aspects like uh, yeah. landscape and that like that's the that's the difficult bit, I think. Yeah, no, and that definitely is a difficult bit. Yeah, because yeah, it's a balancing act. Yeah, exactly, and it's hard to strike that balance. Yeah, it I've is, really definitely. struggled. I mean, no, no, I agree with you on that for sure. Yeah, yeah, but that's but that's a good challenge. Yeah, yep, yep. that's a good. It's, one. It is what me. It's what keeps me going. You know, right? I mean, to to keep trying to strive for that that just you know that perfect uh, moment and 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 uh, you know for the most part, I was shooting the moon with manual uh, lenses until just now till my recent purchase uh and uh yeah out of focus um 
it's for me a bit of a struggle just because I've been shooting it manual for all this time. Um, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm actually enjoying that. I'm, do, I'm enjoying achieving, <laughs> trying to achieve the same level of what I, what I was trying to get, what I was getting before. Well, you were doing lunar photography, I think, with a was it eight hundred millimeter reflector? Um, uh, at one point, I had um, I had a five hundred. I had um, I have a five hundred times two, so I have one that's a thousand basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a, my main one is actually a a three hundred with a two X, which is a six hundred. But then you put it on the body, which is two point seven. So, ah, uh, yeah, okay, sure, of course. Fair enough. So your recent recent purchase was what? Sorry, the the Sony two hundred to six hundred. Oh, yeah, right. Which right. Um, you know, putting it on the sixty one megapixel camera. Uh, I actually have a one point four um, uh, converter as well, uh, but putting that on a, a sixty one mega megapixel uh, Sony body. Um, mm. I, you know, if I were to crop in a little bit, um, the quality is still better than what I would get with the small Nikon sensors I was, you know, that I am using. Wow. Okay. That's a heck of a lot of reach too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. Impressive. Okay, cool. So, um, all right, well, thanks for that. I guess um, one of the things I wanted to sort of uh, was flesh out a little bit was some of the pros and cons of DSLR versus mirrorless because I, as I was making a lot of these sorts of, you know, choices as I, as I imagine you've you've gone down a similar path is mm-hmm. um you know, th- there's lots of different opinions out there about oh well you can't possibly have a mirrorless because of DSLRs will always be better at this 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 and this so I'm like all right well let, let's let's flash let's flash some of that out um I think the most the biggest single one for me with a DSLR as an advantage well a supposed advantage I think mm-hmm. it's reasonable to say is Everything you see through the viewfinder, you see it live real time. There's no, there's not an electronic viewfinder. It's a real, just you're seeing exactly what the camera sees, um, you know, except obviously when the mirror box is sort of like doing the whole flip thing and taking mm-hmm. the actual photo. Um, but it still makes it a lot easier to track, especially a fast moving subject. If if you're doing like lunar photography, it's a, it's a non-issue. If you're doing something that I think that's not moving, it's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you're on sports photography, um, you know, I've noticed on the D500, yes, it is actually um, easier. I I do believe that it's easier on a DSLR to track fast-moving subjects than on a on a mirrorless. Agreed. I mean, there, there is, yeah, yep. there, there is a but though. Uh, um, and I guess the thing is that just because you can see it through the viewfinder doesn't mean the camera's focusing quickly enough right. or holding focus on that subject. So I can point the camera at a moving subject, but if it's moving, um, like the worst case scenario is my focal plane set at however many feet, meters, yards, whatever away they are from me. Mm-hmm. If um, and and if I and I, I don't have that depth of field cranked so that you know if they're moving too too much towards me then they're going to drop out of that. Yeah, would, yeah, they're going to drop out of focus real fast. So if that camera's not adjusting, then it doesn't matter if I'm tracking them and pointing the camera in the right direction. They're going to be a blur before I can blink, yeah. at which point then I, I don't get any keepers. Mm-hmm. So what's the point? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, when, when I first transitioned over um, to mirrorless, and I, if I, I still have some DSLRs, um, but when I first transitioned over, I was it was Panasonic where 
the you you if you were shooting the Panasonic, there, there's no way you would want to shoot mirrorless because um, it. I mean, what you saw in the viewfinder was hyper pixelated, <laughs> super pixelated, right, and very laggy, and you kind of had to shoot with anticipation, right? You'd have to be, mm-hmm. yep. you'd have to be where the action would be before the action was there. And you'd have to, you'd have to sort of know the camera to know what its limitations were and how, you know, how to make, to make sure that you could have the focus happen where it's going to be. Now you're going to have a lot of missed shots because again, you're, you're, you're keeping an eye on the real life stuff happening in front of you at the same time as having your camera who's very laggy. Um, we've gone completely way far beyond that we still haven't gotten to the point of dslr no real time viewfinders but like you said if the the dslr isn't really helping you in terms of uh being able to sort of track that and and you know i mean you you could have i mean the systems are pretty good but for me the mirrorless benefits sort of outweigh even though it's slightly laggy compared to DSLR, it still outweighs uh, the DSLR for me. Yeah, and I and I agree with that statement. Um, I, I specifically with regards to 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 this to this point, you mm-hmm. know, specifically, um, what I found is that you know I will I will set my fo- like okay, if, it, it depends on the sport. And mm-hmm. so, for example, today I was I was taking photos of cricket. And so if I'm taking photographs of a bowler, when the bowler's coming in to deliver the ball, you know, I set my focal focal point just near the umpire and mm-hmm. at f5.6 because that's the, the lowest I can go on my uh, 200-500 zoom, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's still a reasonable depth of field. So even if they're, you know, like five meters either side of that focal point, um, they're still going to be pretty sharp. And so I can get away with that. And I'll hold focus there, and I won't actually adjust focus, and I'll just let it rip, and I'll just mm. you know take you know burst burst photos as they're delivering and pick the best one, mm-hmm. and I can get away with that. But basketball's tricky, and it's also tricky uh, with cricket if you're trying to follow the ball out to the fielder, mm-hmm. because then you don't know which fielder it's going to go to. You can't set up your shot; right. you got to wait, you got to track it, and that's so hard to get it right. And what I learned is that. With the D five hundred, any any sport, in fact, where I can set the focal focal focus point and wait for the action to come to me, mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't matter. The D five hundred, the mirrorless, doesn't make any damn difference because I'm mm-hmm. not tracking a subject exactly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of moving into the zone where I can capture the the photo. Um, so where it struggles, and what I've found is it struggles more. It's struggling because of the lens's ability to focus quickly, not mm-hmm. because of the body. And that's what I've learned. So for me, um, tracking a subject has got more to do with the compute compute power in the body, of which the D500 and for my case, the Z6 II are both quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more the lens and how fast your lens's autofocus motor actually is. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's that when I'm tracking a subject. So I think that it's a bit of a red herring to say, oh, well, I can't keep an eye on them through the viewfinder, therefore I can't track them. I don't actually think that's a real-world problem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've also gotten quite good at um, keeping both eyes open. You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, that probably sounds weird, but 
okay, I'll, let me explain myself. What I mean is um, when I started with photography years ago, um, I can say that now, it's been a few years, is I would close my my left eye and I would use my right eye, you know, through the viewfinder. And it was just like, that's just the way I would take photos. So I was focused through the viewfinder. And then what I realized is that, you know, my, my left eye still works, you know. So what mm-hmm. I can do is <laughs> I can... <laughs> I can track the subject, broadly speaking, with my left eye and Mm -hmm. keep the position of the camera like the same position over my face. So as I move my head, I know as I'm moving my eye and I'm moving the body around that I'm I'm shifting where I'm focusing. And if I've then got the mirrorless and it's and it's not keeping up with live real time, then it doesn't make any difference because I'm still tracking the subject with my my normal eye looking Mm past the body past the of body, the yep. camera yep. and because i have two working eyes i mean mm-hmm. well you know glasses notwithstanding <laughs> but you know they mostly work yeah i'd like to take a moment to talk about our sponsor for this episode and that's solver solver is a calculation app by aqualia for the mac now i'm careful to call solver a calculation app because it's more than just a calculator and it's much quicker and easier to use than a spreadsheet just start typing away and in real time the answers show up in the right-hand column. Let's say you want to figure out 10% of 200. Just type that exactly, and there's your answer. Converting currencies, 10 euro plus 10 USD in AUD. Done. I use it for that all the time. Crazy things, like you want to know how many minutes you've been alive, try 45 years, 5 weeks, and 4 days as minutes, and it turns out I've been alive 23,720,000 minutes. Yay, I'm so old. It's my go-to app when I'm converting between Celsius and Fahrenheit. 21F in C, done. A recently added neat feature I like is the ability to convert between Satoshis, Bitcoin, and to fiat currencies. That's very handy. And a great new feature, you can also now publish your worksheets and share them with anyone. Just hit share and copy the link and send it to whoever you like. Easy. Solver 3 for the Mac makes time and date calculations really easy too, like 30th of August 2021 to today, in weeks, in days, in hours, whatever you like. And Solver also supports time zone aware date and time calculations and conversions as well. You can link different result lines together easily to create more complex calculations with subtotals included. It now comes with full dark mode support and it looks amazing. And if you use a touch bar on your Mac, it supports that as well. Full integration with Spotlight Search with Automator, Solver now has a command line tool that integrates beautifully with Alfred. It has an integrated sheet management system and you can easily share your working and get your results. The list of great features just goes on and on. If you're not convinced, then go to the URL in the show notes and check out the Mac version which has a 30-day free trial. I've been using Solver for many, many years and I use it every single day. Solver for Mac is available from the website solver.app as well as from the Mac App Store. If you use the URL in the show notes, it helps out the show. So please use that URL in the show notes to learn more about this amazing app. Visit solver.app and check it out today. Thank you to Aqualia with their amazing app Solver for once again sponsoring the Engineered Network. The other thing that's interesting on the Z6 II that I'd like to add is that the 5.5 frames per second, it will actually keep up with the live view but if you push beyond that it can't keep up because the data rate coming off the sensor is simply not it it just basically 
floods the channel. It, it just can't the keep buffer. up with the data. Yeah, the, it just can't keep up. Right. Like the, the, the buffer to save it to the memory card, you know, mm. has got plenty of space. That's yeah. not the problem. The problem is the viewfinder just can't viewfinder. keep up. Mm. Yeah. So I can do 14 frames per second at its fastest rate, which is four frames per second faster than the D500. Mm. And I wouldn't have thought those extra four frames a second would make a difference, but wow, they really do it does. make yeah. a difference. Um, so much so that in low light conditions, I can see the ripple effect. And you might think this is really strange, right? So if you've got like fluorescent lights or any mm-hmm. other light lighting that's not um, artificially set uh, by switch mode supply, Mm-hmm. then you'll see that 50 hertz or in North America, 60 hertz, you'll see that light intensity changing depending upon what f- moment of the sine wave you mm-hmm. take that photo. And it's something that it's truly bizarre till you've seen it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's not like the flicker on a screen, but it's right. like there's like a wave of darkness going. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah, weird. You, yeah, you, yeah, see, you know what it. I mean? Yeah, 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 I've seen it. And I was and I and I was taking a photo of my son doing you know attempting a layup and I'm watching because I'm I'm looking straight down the basketball court mm-hmm. and you can just see in each of these shots as I'm going from one to the next to the next to the next and you can see the black ripples mm-hmm. of and they're not black I mean they're they're just it's slightly darker it's like but shade, it's so shade, odd shade yeah. Areas, yeah yeah it's it's like there's a shade between like a an imaginary cloud in mm-hmm. strips and it's just like it it's rippling down like a ripple pattern. Yep. And you can see the amount of light illuminating his face because I can't use a flash. And it's just, it's, I have actually will lose shots because the Z6 can't do the exposure compensation quickly enough mm-hmm. to get the correct ISO setting, to get the correct, you know, like I, I, I will throw away photos that are otherwise perfectly sharp, but they're just a little bit too dark. And if I try and light it up too much, it goes too grainy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. God, I hate that basketball court. It's so hard. Anyway, all right. So um, let's talk about battery life. That's, yep. That comes up a lot. And the funny thing is uh, when I went mirrorless the first time, oh, my gosh, painful. <laughs> uh, even my original A7 is mm. actually kind of painful. Like I, 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 my A7, I think I have like probably, I don't know, 10 batteries for it, right? Uh, wow. And and then finally, you know, when uh, the, the second generation you know, left us because that was still the same battery because Sony didn't realize that, you know, we were all pissed off trying to tell them the viewfinder actually uses a battery unlike a DSLR, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so now we have these giant batteries because Sony decides, well, yeah, a mirrorless should be smaller, but we're not going to make it so small that we can't actually put a battery in there. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the difference in battery life uh, compared to what I'm used to is not that big anymore. Like it used to be massive. Like I used to be able, it used to be with my Panasonic cameras and my Sony, you know, maybe like two, 150 for my Panasonic, maybe 300 for my Sony. Now I can shoot easily a thousand with my, my, my A7, uh, A7R4. Nice. Okay. So I had my first ever battery dead experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd never had a battery dead experience before because I'm, I'm the sort of like, you know, uh, how should I say, stickler for detail that I've always got a fully charged battery before I go out and take photos. Mm-hmm. Um, I never go out with a battery that's got even a fraction of a bar of the battery missing because that's just the way I... I anyway, yeah. that's just me. 
Um, now, the D500 uses the ENEL um, A and B type uh, of battery. And mm-hmm. the ENELC has got, I think, uh, it's a few hundred more milliamp hours of capacity. Mm-hmm. So when they did the Z series, they gave them a slightly larger battery with a bit more uh, capacity to try and combat this. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got a 64 gig SDHC memory card uh, that I've had since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and with 24.5 megapixels can fit in RAW about 1,200 photos, roughly. Mm. So uh, that amount of photos was enough to essentially flatten the battery. And I know that your mileage will vary depending upon how often you wake the camera up, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I've had to get used to doing with the Z6 because <laughs> um, it has quite an aggressive, you know, I'm turning the power off now because you don't seem to be doing anything. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I was looking through the EVF and you just turned off on me and yeah. I wanted to take a photo and I'm yeah. not happy with you now. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But, you know, uh, but still, uh, I don't I don't have another memory card in my pocket and I guess at some point if I'm getting more serious about like do, doing large photography shoots, I'm going to have to do that at some point. But for mm-hmm. the moment, a 64 gig memory card equals a full battery in the mirrorless. On the D500, same situation. I've still got more than half a battery left. So after this, after filling the card, yeah, fill the card, and I've still got half battery. Yeah. So you know, there's no doubt DSLR battery life is far better. Yep. But to be honest, it's an easily solved problem. And mm-hmm. honestly, how many people are taking a thousand plus photos in a single session? Yeah, not many. It's not many. I mean, you know. Uh, anyway, so I do. I do. It's it, here's the thing. Mirrorless is definitely worse on battery life. No question whatsoever. But again, I I think it's a niche issue. If you're a pro photographer, you've already got multiple batteries, multiple yep. memory cards. It's a non-issue, you know? Right. It's easily handled. Anyway, in my opinion. No, I, I agree. And again, if you were there in the beginning, <laughs> you would... Like, I, I welcome any advancement. Like, uh, when, when I got the A7, mm. yeah, people were... Uh, you know, they were, the internet was full of people just blasting the camera. And I'm like, listen, I came from a Panasonic camera, which was shooting 150 to 200. I welcome 350. Mm-hmm. You know, just so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the next one is I actually um, had a note here about durability. Mm-hmm. I can't remember why I wrote down durability. And I thought about it, but it's like, is there someone out there that thinks that DSLRs are more durable than mirrorless. And I'm thinking, well, if you look at, because if you look at Nikon's range, they make uh, lenses like, and I've got one of them, uh, my 55, 200, that's essentially a plastic lens. Mm-hmm. It is like, I'm, there's little bits of metal in it. Sure. But I mean, seriously, the thing is, it's plastic, right? Mm-hmm. And they make, uh, like, I think it's the 3500, I think D3500, is it the entry level one mm-hmm. or whatever? Yep. That that thing's most made, made mostly of plastic. I think mean, it's got some metal in it, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's not made out of magnesium, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure not. It's, um, no, I'm pretty sure it isn't. That's why they sell it for so little. Right. Now, and that's a DSLR. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to compare something like a D5, you know, with a, you know, with a with a D five hundred, you know, you'd probably say, well, the D five is probably more rugged than a D five hundred. But if you look at the uh, at a Z six or a Z seven, they're both a similar kind of construction mm-hmm. to um 
to the DSLRs I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So they've got the same amount of metal in them, more or less. So I don't understand. I don't think that it's a mirrorless versus DSLR thing. I think it's a cheap versus semi-pro versus pro, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, you're probably right about that. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just I'm I only know the Nikon examples. I mean, because to me, um, because mirrorless really, I don't think mirrorless were brought out necessarily to be cheap cameras. They were meant to be originally more portable. That was the, mm-hmm. my understanding. Yep. That was it. Yep. So it wasn't about making them out of cheap plastic. Right. So, I mean, yeah, because I mean, if a mirrorless and a DSLR fall in the woods, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and please, please do not drop your cameras in the woods or anywhere. But you know, I think they both get off just as as poorly when they hit the ground. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Yes, in the in the respective groups, like the, you know, the pro bodies, yes, will probably fare about the same. The semi pros about the same, and the entry level probably about the same. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, the next thing is just quickly is silent shooting mm-hmm. um, on the mirrorless, which is I initially thought was a beautiful thing, and then I had second thoughts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know where I'm going with this? I think so. If you're if you're talking about the effects of of that you get with uh, certain parts of this effect, so mechanical shutters, you know, I. I personally have a love-hate relationship with a mechanical shutter because Mm -hmm. mechanical shutters are, well, oddly in the name, mechanical and all mechanical things fail. I mean, okay, you can argue that anything electronic fails as well because everything eventually dies. And as I famously said in a meeting at work once, everything dies. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me like I was, (laughs) dude, that was really heavy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh Let's talk about rainbows for a second. Chocolate and I'm they sorry. die as well, though. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I'm not technically incorrect, but okay, fine. It was a bit heavy for the meeting, but that's fine. Yes. Hey, anyhow, never mind that. That's fine. Um, I can look back and laugh on it now, but everyone was really upset at the time. <laughs> anyhow, uh, right? Yes, good. Back on topic. Uh, so yes, everything does die, but mechanical stuff dies faster than electronics. So yep. I always console myself that. With an electronic shutter, I can, in fact, go to an electronic shutter if the mechanical shutter ever dies on me. So that's something, mm-hmm. uh, which is something the D500 it sort of can, sort of can't. doesn't have a true electronic shutter. Mm-hmm. And so the electronic shutter on a mirrorless is great because it doesn't make any noise and it doesn't uh, it doesn't fail in the same way that mechanical one will, will wear out after 200,000 or 300,000 or 500,000, you know, Activation. Activations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but that does unfortunately have another side effect, um, like a bending effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the correct term is rolling shutter, I think. Yep. So, how would you have you had any experiences with this? Um, no, not really. Um, you, have you, have you, and I mean, I, I would imagine you probably have that have that happen more in sports than because I, I don't shoot sports, but well. Because of the action. Yeah, here's the thing. I haven't tried yet in high speed. Like for me, the sport that would be the hardest one, the most likely to be impacted would be cricket because Mm -hmm. uh, when they're bowling that ball, they're bowling it at, you know, like uh, 160 kilometers an hour, so like um, 100 100 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. That's going to have some interesting effect with an electronic shutter Mm -hmm. at that speed. Just because I can't help myself, um, 
I, I did what every good photographer would do and I would uh, and I got the electronic shutter setting and I got a uh, a pedestal fan and um it was it's the middle of winter you know well it's not the middle of winter anymore now we're just coming into spring but mm. it was in winter when I was doing it so I think I got some strange expressions from other family members as I brought out a pedestal fan in the middle of winter and <laughs> you know and I took the protective cover off the front mm-hmm. Which was also a strange thing to do because, you know, a wise man once said, don't shove your face in a fan. And I'm like, okay, well, I did not do that, but I did in fact point the camera at it and wow, it creates the most bizarre and trippy kind of bending effect Mm -hmm. when you take a photo uh, of the fan blade spinning because they're spinning at high speed. Yeah. Um, and my understanding of, of as to why this happens is because of the way in which data is read from the sensor. Yep. So unlike mechanical shutter where everything is retained and as you pull it off, the information re- is retained as it was captured. Yep. Whereas an electronic shutter, that is not the case. It's reading it line by line, basically. We, I mean, like we haven't gotten to the, 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 the global shutter yet mm. because you know like there's cinema cameras that have global shutters we we don't have global shutters I, I i wish we were here already but um the electronic uh shutter is basically reading it line by line so by the time you know the blade reaches a certain point yeah. at the bottom you know it's you know it's read it it's you know so the top is set when it gets to the bottom it's like okay this is a different position and that's why you have that effect mostly mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You don't have that effect so much with the uh, you know the electronic front shutter, uh, curtain shutter, or like the mechanical shutter, but definitely with the electronic shutter. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's an interesting effect. So anything that's moving really quickly, mm-hmm. you're basically straight out of luck with an electronic shutter. Yep, uh, it will look distorted. Um, but of course, that fan's spinning at however many hundred revs per minute. Mm-hmm. so it's it's spinning quite fast and if you were to look at the leading edge the speed that that's spinning at is probably significant which is why as i say i i, <laughs> I think it would be an interesting exercise to try and capture uh, a fast bowler in cricket to see whether or not i get some really cool streak effect from yeah, <laughs> the yeah, cricket yeah. ball <laughs> flying through the air which which could be artistic in a very odd way mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe <laughs> Maybe we'll see. I'll try when I'm feeling more adventurous in the summertime, perhaps. But you know, you know, the, the the interesting thing here, right, is that if you look at the speeds that the camera, like the your fastest shutter speeds, you will get with an electronic because there is nothing moving, right? There's, there's, you're, mm-hmm. It's the sensor readout, basically. Um, yeah. The mechanical is just going to be the second, and then the electronic front curtain curtain is going to be the last. Um, but again, the one with the fastest. Is the one with the with the effect because of the way it reads across that center, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's fascinating actually. Yeah. So, but having said all of that, um, there are lots of advantages to an electronic shutter in terms of there's no there's no shutter shake mm-hmm. with a me- mechanical shutter. You will get uh, some vibration no matter how minute. Which if you're doing something in incredibly low light like astrophotography, mm-hmm. not lunar photography, that will come into play as well. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. And just to prove the point, uh, I did take a, uh, a photo of the Milky Way, which is my my, my best photo of the Milky Way uh, to date mm-hmm. uh, with the Z6 II. Mm. Um, I don't know. If, did, I ever, did I send you the... I don't think so. I, I don't believe... I, I know you've sent me... I don't think so. I don't, yeah, I don't think you have. 
you know you know um what was your set what was your um how did you do it did you did you do it with a timer like did you set the camera to yeah. be timer okay long yeah so it was a uh, it was a 10 second exposure mm-hmm. and i was using my um my wide angle lens mm-hmm. uh which i'll talk a little bit more about later but it was um yeah it was kind of interesting um insofar as I didn't do a hell of a lot to it. Mm. Like I didn't, I didn't crank the ISO to a ridiculous number, and I didn't. Mm. Um, it, I, I almost got my best shot with the first shot. You know what I mean? I'm just like it was mm. mm-hmm. the the difference between the D500 and the Z62 for the Milky Way fo- photography was just like you know the D500. I had to coax and 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 mess around with um, the whites and the black levels and all that stuff in order to bring out the Milky Way. But with the Z6 II, it just popped without, with very little effort. Oh, it was nice. incredible. Um, so I got, I got to dig up, I got to dig up that photo actually. Now I'm wondering what the hell I did with it. I sent it to somebody. I think I might've sent it to my wife and she was completely uninterested. <laughs> um, I think that was what it was. Like, I just took this photo. She <laughs> didn't even say anything. I'm like, it's the galaxy. <laughs> it's beautiful. I took one of the the cat also um, mid yawn, and it looks like she's growling at us, ready to bite <laughs> her head off. That got a reaction, but no, the Milky oh. Way. <laughs> so I took that in the backyard, oh, and yeah, that was nice. yeah. So that's and you didn't have to do much in post. No, nice. And you can see if you closely look around the the top the outside corners. Mm-hmm. You can actually see the uh, the fall off from the from the lens mm. because it's a DX lens on an FX oh, body. Okay, okay, yeah. So that's what that darkening is, and I just couldn't bring myself to crop it. <laughs> on the thing is that actually it's not. It's actually. Bec- I mean, it's not that bad actually. This is. I mean, it, it'd be worse if it was actually a daytime. Oh, oh, to- yeah, totally. I mean, and I've got lens corrections in there and everything. But anyway, oh, okay, so, okay. But but I mean that's um. Yeah, so well, I'll talk a bit about my lenses later, actually, because it's it is interesting um, about what works and what doesn't on the Z six. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right. Wait a second. Mm. So hold, hold on. Yeah. How far away from your house is this? Uh, it's my like literally where okay where that photo's taken. Yeah. So I've got the house, the back of the house. Yeah. I've got a swimming pool, and then I've basically just got you know another thirty forty yards of just like grass and trees. So those trees are probably about 30, 30 yards from the back of my house, twenty yards from the back of the pool. Oh. So my back is to the house. So you live you live in a dark side, basically. Yeah, I, I live in the middle. I live in the middle of nowhere, man. Oh, well, okay, okay. In a matter of speaking. Oh, <laughs> I mean, nice. It's beautiful. I love where I live. Yeah. It's it is a it is like I'm a, I'm a two and a half minute drive from the freeway, mm. and you can only really hear the hear, hear the freeway at night. Um. And I'm about probably about a six minute drive from the nearest train station, so I do sometimes hear the trains at night as well, but they're very mm. faint in the background. So mm-hmm. if you go, if you look south, you can see the glow from Brisbane, mm-hmm. uh, and if you look north, you really don't see a heck of a lot of light pollution. Nice. And if you look so like northwest, you can see practically no light pollution because there's nothing mm. like northwest of us, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. So it's it is really nice. I wish I had that here. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah. I have to go really far for the, for no light pollution. Yeah, if I want to go to a true dark sky site, I have to go all the way out to um I got about two and a half hour drive mm. um west of me. 
Mm-hmm. And at that point, it is so dark, basically, mm-hmm. um, you would be able to actually get like decent photos of pretty much any celestial object you would like. Mm-hmm. Where I am, I, uh, yeah. But one of the problems is I really want to get a photo of Andromeda. Mm-hmm. But Andromeda is is hard because it never comes above 22 degrees, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is not ideal because to the north of me, I'm, I'm at the bottom of a hill. So oh. I, I lose a bit of that to the north, which kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but still. But you can see even with a 10-second exposure. So if you look at the center of the image, mm-hmm. you can see all of the stars are pretty sharp. But as soon as you go to the outside of it, you can see them. I think that's some uh, chromatic aberration around the outsides. Mm-hmm. It's, so the stars become a little bit more like a, a cross yeah. sort of a shape, like a like a plus sign, yeah. which yeah. is in- interesting. What was what was what was your aperture? Was it as at its widest? I just knew you were going to ask me that. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. So it was f two point eight, mm-hmm. and um, it was because it's eleven to sixteen mil mm-hmm. um, on the DX. In order for it to actually, well you know, take a photo that wide, the widest I can go is actually 16. Oh. So I can't even, if I, if I go down, if I, oh, sorry, um, sorry, is 11. If I go down, it's, oh, hang on, let me get this right, right around. Is brain. it like 2.8 to 4 or something? No, it's a 2.8 oh. fixed Oh, constant. Okay, I got you. Constant aperture lens, yeah. Yeah, it's damn sexy lens. Mm-hmm. I love it. I've always liked it. Talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got it specifically on a recommendation. It was a recommendation from Ian Norman. Um, did mm. you listen to that episode? It was 102. I think it was 102. 102? Oh, 101. It was astrophotography. Of, 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 oh, okay. I got I got I got I got to listen to that one. Yeah. How come you didn't ping me? That should have been a ping. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Jeez, <laughs> a specific dude. ping. Clay, it's astrophotography. Ping. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, I just, yeah, I guess. I'm sorry about that. I, I just I, I I haven't I I, I like I, I I uh you know when when things you know when things pop in the Slack I go listen but a lot of t- I haven't been in Slack. <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. I, I duck in and duck out. Yeah. All right. Um. All right. So uh, getting back to it, I guess um one of the things that I find I I I originally um of the opinion uh between the Z6 and the Z7 was. More megapixels means cropping, is mm-hmm. and cropping means I can zoom by cropping, and that is a good thing. Um, versus an optical zoom, mm-hmm. and the thing that I've been experimenting with, and I'm I'm finding is that now I'm on the Z6, all of my lenses, which I'll get to in a minute, all my lenses are like there's a fifty fifty split roughly, half of them are FX, half of them are DX, and mm-hmm. um, or you get one that's DX, but it doesn't uh, the body can't tell it's a dx so it thinks it's an fx whatever mm-hmm. but those are the best kind <laughs> yeah i know right yeah hack the nikon um anyway get off brand lenses and you can do cool things mm-hmm. but anyway um yeah so these these lenses um are of course they don't have the reach because they're not dx uh, it's not a dx body so i mm-hmm. lose that extra like 1.5x and i i did feel it today when i was doing the um, when I was doing cricket because I need that reach. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to cricket, I may not use the Z6 in the longer term. I may go, I may still use the D600, uh, 500, the sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but anyhow, I, the, the reason I was bringing this up is that the optical zoom, so I've got the 85mm full frame 
prime lens, which is an f1.8. It's a beautiful lens, mm-hmm. F-mount. And uh, I've been using that in the Z6 II in basketball. And I love it because I can be at the baseline now at the mm-hmm. offensive end and mm-hmm. it's no longer too tight. So I can get it. I can get them just in the full frame. Yeah. The downside is if I'm down at the offense end and I want to take photos of them in defense, they are now way out of reach. Yeah. They were, it was tough before, but it's mm-hmm. pretty much impossible now. So even with 24.5 megapixels, I've tried cropping to try and pull that detail out mm-hmm. and it's just terrible. It just falls apart. Yeah. It's not good enough. Yeah. And the thing is that like your 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 situation in uh, in basketball 70 to 200 would be your best bet. I Correct. would imagine. That I absolutely agree with you hands down. That is exactly the conclusion I've reached. Mm. Because I need um I need the ability to zoom optically because mm-hmm. even if I were to go to a Z7, I think I'd face the same problem with cropping. Because in the end the optical zoom to bring it in to get the maximum use of that light mm-hmm. is going to give you a better result in terms of the quality of the image than you'll get, yeah, with a prime and then cropping. So the, 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 there's a there's a sort of balance here, right? Mm. You you would you would be better off with definitely having the lens on the body that you want, right? Because you you're um, 40, 45 megapixels is a lot, isn't that what it is? Forty five or forty two? What is uh, it? The Z sevens are forty. Yeah, I think 40. it's forty five. Yeah, yeah, forty five is a lot. Uh, the ability to crop 45 is definitely um, better than cropping a, a 24, mm. right? 24, you crop that, and before you know it, you're at 10 megapixels. And that is not something that's ideal. Um, so if you were, if you, if you, like, let's say you could only have one camera body and you're like, I need to have it for this other use case scenario and also for sports, you know, the, the 45 would be beneficial if you could, if you could not get like let's say the seventy to two hundred, but if you can get a seventy two hundred or something like it, you're better off doing that because you're not having to crop anything, mm. right? You just you're basically just using the full frame. Yeah. Um. And and your camera actually has the ability to to do one point five crop in camera, can it or not? Um. Yeah. 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 I can. I can do that if I want to. Yeah, like, um, so if you, I don't know how easy it is. I know it's only, it's not that easy. I, I think I could set it up to a custom button, I guess, where you could just basically fun, just have it go to a 1.5 mode. And let's say if you had the 85, the 85 would be 85 and then 85 times 1.5. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I can do that in camera, but I mean, doing it in cra- in camera or in post, you know, it's the same end result in, in the end. I mean, the pixels are the pixels, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, true. Yeah. But I mean, it just helps when I'm if I'm trying to um, frame it when I'm taking the photo, mm-hmm. um, which which I actually do 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 when I'm doing um, planetary photography with the with the camera is I will actually uh, pre zoom it in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just makes it a lot easier to frame it. But I guess in the end, um, my conclusion was that to get the best of both worlds, like the best backside illuminated sensor for low light, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, the as well as the um, the most versatility when in a, in basketball, I really need the Z6 plus a seventy to two hundred, mm-hmm. and I need that combination. So like the D five hundred is not the right choice because it's not as good with low light. Right. So, but having said that, that is a three thousand dollar lens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, can't yeah. afford to rent 
everything, can't afford to buy everything at this point. So gonna have to just yeah. wait. How much does it cost to rent that Netherlands? Oh, in Australian dollars. Um, yeah, okay. So I said three thousand. That's US. It's four thousand mm-hmm. Australian dollars, and mm-hmm. it costs a hundred and eighty-eight dollars a month to rent that lens. Mm-hmm. And that's the Z the Z lens itself, or that's the uh, the F lens. That's the Z lens. Okay. And how much is it to to rent the F lens now since the Z is out? Well, if you pick one up on a nice super saver, you might get it for about eighty ninety dollars a month, mm-hmm. which is not cheap, but not impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at this point in time, I I have that quandary right, and we and it's a little bit of a tangent, but it's worth talking about. I think is do you go with Z Z mount lenses or do you stick with F mount lenses? Because on the on the one hand, F mount lenses are plentiful; you can get lots of them secondhand. Mm-hmm. And with the migration away from F to Z mount, it's only a matter of time, you know. Mm-hmm. And when that there will come a point where you don't get a choice; it'll all be Z mount. Yep. And so you know you can either jump ship now or. And head across to the Z mount, or you can try and pick up secondhand lenses and just keep using the FTZ adapter. Yeah. But I tell you, there's some interesting little things about the FTZ adapter. So I'm all right using the FTZ adapter on my Z62. Right. I'm also using the battery grip for it. For for what? For your D500? Oh, oh, for your um Z no, for the Z6. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. 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 And uh, I never got the battery grip for the D500. Um, I thought about it a lot, but I just couldn't. I just didn't. You didn't. You didn't need it, really. Well, I kind of see the ba- okay, but yeah, I didn't need it for the battery, no. But I did need it for vertical photography. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Do, it's so, so much doing. Extra. Oh, it's beautiful for that. Yeah. yeah. Except if you've got the FTZ on there, and this is what one of, one of the things I want to mention. Mm-hmm. That FTZ adapter has this bulky knob bit at the bottom, which that's got a tripod mount in it. Mm-hmm. Now, when you pair that with the um, battery grip for the Z6, your fingers get jammed yeah. between that, like the finger grip mm-hmm. and the base of the FTZ adapter. Now, if you had a, a Z mount lens, you would not have a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you use the FTZ, that's a pain in the butt. Then you do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, the mount for uh, the 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 small, you know, Nikon One system, the mount is pretty much the same because they have because uh, Canon doesn't have the. Uh, I don't think they have a tripod uh, mount, but for some reason Nikon likes to put those mounts there. I mean, it's actually beneficial because I I have used uh, really big heavy lenses and used that. Um, that tripod mount, then it's better to put it there than the body of the, the actual, uh, you know, the, the camera. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And and the longer the lens you've got, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, the the more appropriate it is to get it closer to the center of gravity. Yep. But um, but I mean, anyway. But yeah, that sucks though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. This episode is brought to you by Many Tricks, makers of helpful apps for the Mac, whose apps do well. You guessed it, Many Tricks. Their apps include Butler, Keymail, Leech, Desktop Curtain, TimeSync, Usher 2, MenuWare, Moom, Name Mangler, Witch, and Resolutionator. There's so much to talk about for each app that they make, so we're just going to touch on some highlights. Usher 2, the return of the classic Usher, but now it's a full 64-bit app that works with the latest versions of macOS, including Monterey. So what is Usher? 
It's an amazing, powerful media management and playback app that can see movies you have in TV, music and photos apps or any library location you'd prefer on your Mac. It can organize them for you if you like. You can create advanced playlists and sorting criteria and you can even edit their information all from within Usher. Menuware puts your Mac's menu anywhere. Well, wherever your mouse pointer is. It's such a simple idea that is so very handy. Instead of having to mouse up to the top of the screen, press a hotkey of your choice and Menuware puts the menu right where your mouse is. You show the current active apps menu or the entire menu, then you pick your app from there if you prefer. And as another bonus time saver, you can even hide the menus that you rarely use. It's a great time saver for me and I bought it within a minute of trying it because I saw the value in it immediately. Moom makes it easy to move any of your windows to whatever screen positions that you want. Halves, corners, edges, any fraction you like of the screen. And then you can even save and recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto-arrange feature when you connect or disconnect an external display. It has full touch bar support and keyboard integration with Adobe's apps and it also works perfectly on an iPad operating in sidecar mode. It's the first app that I load on a new Mac because it's just awesome. Name Mangler. You've got a whole bunch of files to rename quickly, efficiently and in large numbers? Well, then Name Mangler can help. It's designed for staged renaming sequences with powerful rejects pattern matching. Recent additions include a group by feature. When making a sequence and title case conversions can now keep their existing formatting or convert to lowercase on word length. The best part is it shows you the result as you go. And if you mess something up, just revert back to where you started and try again. Which? You should think about which is a supercharger for your command tab app switcher. If you've got three or four documents open at once in any one app, then Witch's beautifully simple pop-up quickly lets you pick exactly the one you're looking for. You can switch between tabs as well as apps and app windows with horizontal, vertical or menu bar switching panels with text search for switching. You can show the frontmost app in the menu bar icon with full touch bar support and much, much more. And finally, Resolutionator. And it's so simple. A drop-down menu from the menu bar and you can change the resolution of whatever display you like that's currently connected to your Mac. The best part though, you can even set your resolution to fit more pixels than are actually there. It's very handy when you're stuck on your laptop and you need more screen real estate. Now that's just six of their great apps and that's only about half of them and they all work with the latest version of macOS Monterey. All of these apps have free trials that you can download from manytricksalloneword.com slash pragmatic and you can easily try them out before you buy them. They're all available from the website or through the Mac App Store. However, if you visit that URL, you can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps exclusively for Engineered Network listeners. Simply use Causality25. That's Causality the word and 25 the numbers in the discount code box in the shopping cart to receive 25% off. This offer is only available to Engineered Network listeners for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Thank you once again to ManyTrix for sponsoring the Engineered Network. All right, so um, so the other, well, I guess what I want to talk about is the other limitations of that FTZ adapter. So the FTZ adapter is the F-mount to Z-mount adapter, and that means that you can use any lens with an F-mount on a mirrorless, a uh, Nikon mirror, mirrorless. Mm-hmm. But one of the cautions is that if you do, then it will, if the lens has uh, stabilization, then it will not... Um, that stabilization of the lens, if you turn it on, will will cut out the in-body stabilization in mm-hmm. the Z six. Really? Um, yeah. And the and that's not the necessarily the end of the world because I tried that today with a two hundred to five hundred, and the in-body stabilization on the Z six was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is not surprising when you consider the length of the barrel, you know, yeah. <laughs> when it's fully extended. Um, so anyway, um, but the other thing that's interesting is that they've done lots of tests on autofocus speed. So if you look at autofocus speed on a native Z mount, um, like 70 to 200, and the F mount, traditional like F70, 70 to 200 millimeter, mm-hmm. like with the uh, fluorite element, mm-hmm. which I did rent for a few months, um, it is slower on via the FTZ adapter. Okay. By a lot or by just a little? And then I think it's enough to be annoying. Okay. I think that it's like the question would be is, well, do you invest in a, in a lens that essentially for a cap for a mount that is on the way out? Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a good, and that's, that's actually, if there, if there is a, enough um, annoyance, it, it's not worth it. Well, the funny thing is I, I've read a bunch of reviews of my, of course, as, as you do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of particular interest was the one from, uh, from Ken Rockwell, mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I like reading Ken Rockwell stuff because some of it makes me laugh. <laughs> um, he's, yeah, he's got some interesting opinions. He's special. He's a special guy. He sure is special, and we love him just the way he is. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so so Ken's um, point was that it's impossible to tell how much spherical aberration that there is um, with this lens and distortion and vignetting and so on because the camera will correct for it, mm-hmm. and there's no way to get a true raw out of it. Oh. So... Um, like as in like an uncorrected image out of the the camera. Yeah. Which is interest and an interesting choice on Nikon's part. So if you he said if you look at the complexity of the seventy to two hundred millimeter Z mount lens, the um whatever it's called, the uh uh F1.8S. Um anyway, he said that um it should be it's surprising that they've managed to correct for all of that mm. when you compare that to the F-mount equivalent. So his argument is that the F-mount was better on the basis that it was made out of better materials <laughs> and it was made in Japan versus the other one with the Z-mount, which has got more plastic in it and made in Thailand. He always has. He always did make those sort of arguments, depending on where something was made. <laughs> I, I know, right? I know. But, I mean, the the, the truth is that... You know, it's still Nikon spec. It's still a Nikon factory. Yeah. It's just that the labor to make it is in a different country. So I do find that argument to be somewhat tenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was more substance to that, then Nikon would go out of business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and not just Nikon. Right. Yeah, because it happens to Sony and, and Canon as well. They do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly right. So... Um, rather than get hung up on his opinion, I think the point is more, um, for me, the practical application of the lens in the real world, um, they are both excellent lenses. And I think that the argument for the native Z-mount lens is stronger mm-hmm. simply because you'll get faster autofocus speed and therefore better tracking. And it is also, you know, not going to have the... Um, it's not going to... Okay. I think it'll hold its value better. Yeah. So if you, yeah. So I think that the ultimate goal for me is going to be, um, I will probably have two cameras at some point. If not now, if I eventually, you know, save up enough money to actually buy out the rental Mm -hmm. for the Z6 II, 
Um, I have listed my D500 for sale, but I'm not going to give it away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in great condition, but unfortunately, you know, some people look at that and they say, well, you know, I could, I could pull a bit of like an extra four five hundred dollars with it and get a brand new one. I'm like, yeah, well, you're clearly not the right buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so in any case, you know, it's like I don't want to give it away, right. and it's a perfectly good camera. So I may well end up just keeping that and just gradually migrate across or get newer lenses for the for the Z mount as I go, mm-hmm. and only use the FTZ adapter in a pinch. Yeah, you know. Like if there's a particular lens I really want to use on the on the mirrorless, I can. Um, but anyway, so um, let's just talk about my lenses then, real quickly. Yep. Um, and um, this is this is essentially my complete list. So that I have right now today. So I have a DX uh, 35 millimeter, which is these are all AFS lenses, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 40 millimeter micro uh, DX lens, which is my um. Uh, macro lens which i've used i used for film can uh like photographing film and slides Mm -hmm. yeah i know i know not i yes i know not 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 the same way that you do it of course (laughs) take the film photo and then scan it you know but still i bought it because i had a whole bunch of old film that i wanted to digitize and Mm -hmm. yeah the, the difficulty for me with that is simple and that is that you know if I don't have the um, a native DX camera, then I'm not going to get the full sensor size. Yeah, that's which yeah, sucks true. because you know. So, and before I go any further, this is one of my gripes about the Z, the Nikon system. If you attach a DX lens via the FTZ adapter on on a, on a full frame mirrorless, it will auto crop it, and it'll it's basically an enforced auto crop. Mm-hmm. So even if you get enough light to illuminate the FX sensor, you will you cannot get more than ten megapixels. Ouch! Which is yeah, jeez. <laughs> so the forums are filled with people that are saying this is no bueno. No, you know, it's like not. what? 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 What you going to do about this Nikon? And Nikon's answer has been: There's nothing we're going to do about it. <laughs> You're going to buy an FX lens if you want FX. You know, shrug. Yeah, shrug. <laughs> they don't care. And you know, I remember Can- well, I don't know if you know about Canon, but when they went with their crop bodies, their EFS uh, lenses, their crop ones, never actually work on full frame. So that, that's one thing Canon and uh, sorry Nikon actually gave us is the ability to to still use those. Yeah, it crops it, but they at least give you the ability to use it. <laughs> wow. So uh, I don't know how it is with mirrorless, but uh, Canon, but uh, that's how it was with, with the DSLRs. Well, that kind of sucks. Yeah. So um, if I want to be digitizing, um, if I want to be digitizing film still, then I will, and I want to keep that lens, then I'm going to have to, you know, use the uh, the D500, which is fine. It works, but, you know, it just means that I'll need a, uh, or, or I need a DX mirrorless because I guess technically if I use the FTZ on like a Z5, then mm-hmm. that would work. Yeah. You know, a, two, a two-body setup with uh with uh, like the the d the z seven uh six and the z five the what's what's the z fifty is that the the dx body oh i meant z fifty yeah sorry yeah yeah isn't that uh that would be actually a nice setup for sports um for the reachability and for uh yeah it it would be for outdoor sports my problem is the indoor the indoor sports yeah, yeah. so it doesn't it doesn't have the low light performance of the z six right right true that's yeah that's the problem 
Um, anyway, I mentioned before my favorite um, Prime, the 85mm f1.8. That's a full frame. And I've, I've, I leave that attached to the camera most of the time. I take I, like all the portrait photos I took. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a beautiful portrait camera and I use it for indoor basketball at the moment. And it's still my best choice mm-hmm. for that. I have my super cheap extra plastic 55-200mm DX lens, um, which I don't... Oh man, I can't remember the last time I used that. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I should probably get rid of it. Um and then, of course, my what I call the novelty lens, my 200 to 500 millimeter full frame. Um, that's a beautiful f5.6 constant aperture lens. It's just magic. I uh, love that lens. I love, I love the I, I, I wanted, I wanted that lens so bad. That a constant 5.6. Oh, I so know. Nice. It's an incredible lens. But um, every now and then, when I'm, I'm using it now on the Z6, I'm like, oh, man, I really need a 1.4 mm-hmm. or a 1.7 tally on it. Yeah, yeah. But you know. Because I, if I if I go to a two times if I go to a two x telly that just pushes it to f eleven which, you know in in daylight you'd be right mm-hmm. you you'd, you'd probably have enough light in and and with the ISO that you can go to on the Z six you could probably get away with it mm-hmm. but I worry about how soft it would make the image like yeah. I've seen plenty of people doing tests of the two hundred to five hundred with the one point four and the one point seven mm-hmm. and it's still super sharp but as soon as you go to the two x telly yeah it just starts getting soft and i'm like you you know i don't like a soft picture it's like yeah john would be no the, the two, two xm adapters have always been iffy um the only time i've seen two x adapters be like ideal are in the old tamron uh, the, the old uh, adaptol days where it basically kind of becomes a part of the lens itself oh yeah i don't know why they you know the why why we couldn't have that system still where you know, someone makes us almost make it make it part of the body, but yeah, two X is not ideal. Uh, and then, of course, there's the um, the eleven to sixteen millimeter uh, Tokina, mm-hmm. um, which you know, one of the things on the FTZ is that because it's a Tokina, um, the Z6 doesn't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is that's interesting is that if you because it doesn't recognize the lens, which means that autofocus doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Autofocus does work on this lens on the D500 though, mm. which is interesting. Yeah. And it's a DX lens, which means that because it doesn't know what it is, it doesn't try to auto crop it. Right. So I get to see the full, you know, circle yeah. as you, as you change from 11 to 16, you see the circle, um, you know, fading uh, just around the outside of the, of the image, which is cool. Where is it usable? Um, it's starting to be usable. It's, it's usable at the um, at the 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 narrower end, not the wide end. Okay, so it's more like fourteen to sixteen, maybe. Yeah, it's more like a fifteen to sixteen. Okay, which <laughs> <laughs> is really more like a sixteen. <laughs> but you know, um, yeah. but but the other thing that's interesting is, of course, because there's no autofocus, so I could go manual focus. But of course, with a wide angle lens, it's usually less of a problem. Mm-hmm. It's an f two point eight. But yeah, anyway, it's still a great lens, mm-hmm. and you can still select it in light, um, like in Photoshop, and do the lens adjustments after the fact. Oh, okay. So you just, yeah, you just tell it. Oh, yeah. By the way, I took this on a on a Tekina, mm-hmm. um, yeah, eleven sixteen DX, blah blah blah, blah and it just takes care of it all for you, which is cool. Yep. Um, but yes, that's an interesting little thing about the FTZ adapter on that one. And I used to have a 50 millimeter FX with the body motor, which I've got rid of that required the body motor for focus because of an AF, not an AFS. Mm-hmm. I uh, sold that. That's gone. 
and I did rent for a few months a 70 to 200 FX Pro lens, which was gorgeous, <laughs> but I just couldn't keep paying the money for it, so I returned it. Mm-hmm. Kind of was annoying. So how about you? What lenses are you currently uh, sporting on your yeah on your Sony? For the Sony, it's uh, a 15 Voigtlander, 15 millimeter, which I actually originally bought for real estate photography, but I, I don't do that anymore. So it's 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 mainly my landscape, cityscapes, architecture, astro. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold the phone. Hang on. Yeah, you did la- you did real estate photography? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, tell me about this. What when was this? Yeah. Uh, it was it was a couple of years ago. It's um it's actually fun because basically you just get like the space. You, know, you you just get the keys to the place and you just get to, you know, no one's bothering you. Uh, very often it's just like you you just you know they they say okay how many hours do you need? You walk in and you you know a lot of time. The one thing that sucks about real estate photography in, in the United States, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but people are messy. And they would leave their place a mess. And I'm like, do you want to sell the place or what? So I would actually spend a lot of time cleaning up and setting up their stuff for them before I actually took pictures. And that's kind of why I sort of walked away from it a little bit. You should have charged extra for that, man. Come on. Yeah, that's a good point. I should have. That's a good point. But yeah, like, you know, you you look at a place and you're like, okay, this place should take me maybe an hour to shoot. And then you walk in and you're like, oh, snap. This place is a mess. Oh, man. Yeah, well, some... Mm. There's a difference between making a place look like it's lived in and not actually caring enough to tidy it up. Right. It's kind of a yeah, yeah. <laughs> fine line there. Mm-hmm. Actually, not such a fine line. It's kind of an obvious line, I would have thought. <laughs> All right, cool, interesting. Okay, I didn't know about that. There you go. Yeah. Cool. So that was the super wide. Yeah, that was a super wide. I mean, because the one thing is, you know, a lot of times people, when they go shoot places, um, they they just maybe stitch two pictures together, but if you're doing sort of uh, if you're doing um, maybe HDR because let's say the light was extreme outside versus inside, mm-hmm. um, it's easier just to have two pictures or three pictures and rather than having to stitch stitch a bunch of pictures and then also HDR merge, it's it's just so much easier. Um, the thirty five two point eight sonar, which is actually I think my first lens, because I bought I bought my Sony without with just body only, and then I and then I went to look for a lens, mm-hmm. and it was the thirty five. I, I was actually using it with like cheap adapters, using my old manual focus lenses, and uh, the thirty five two point eight is basically just sort of a small pancake, you know, like lens. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally bought a fifty one point eight. I've always won. I've always had a fifty one point eight in every camera system I've had, yep. and I didn't have that for Sony until just recently. Um, and the reason I got that is because when I'm doing portrait sessions and I'm in a smaller space, uh, the eighty five, which I also have, the it, it just wasn't wasn't working um, because I was too close. Um, okay, I had an I have a ninety millimeter, which was my portrait lens, and the issue was with my old Sony A seven. I was having issues focusing, and that's why I got the 85. Now, I'm happy I got the 85 because it is so much better for portraits. Mm-hmm. The 90 is awesome for when I'm doing weddings and I need to shoot details. And then I just bought the, the 2 to 600 with a 1.4 uh, uh, adapter. And I haven't shot it as much as I wanted to because of work, but uh, it it just it feels so right in the hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful lens, that one. Yeah. I've heard yes, I've heard many good things. I've almost, you know, I almost bought the one hundred to four hundred, and then I was gonna do a one point four. Yeah, and the, I'm like, you know what, I I'm gonna always have a one point four on there, so I'm like, I might as well just go for the two to six hundred. Yeah, 
Definitely. But the 100 to 400 was also very highly regarded. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't think you could go wrong with either of those lenses. But if you really wanted that reach, then I can understand the the choice yeah. you made for sure. Mm -hmm. If I were if I was shooting sports, I would have gone for the 100 to 400 just because you could actually focus closer. Like the the closest yeah. versatility. Yeah, exactly. Right, and the, and the thing is that the ability for the subject to be closer to you because mm. the, the, the two to six hundred you, you have to be a, a close to eight feet away from someone or something yeah for it to even start focusing yeah yeah exactly and and the other thing i found is that even with with, with mine with the 200 500 mm -hmm. um if i put that on to um yeah so i i i put that six meters to infinite mm -hmm. when with focus so it doesn't even bother trying yeah um and and if you do flick the switch over to full range Mm -hmm. then it still struggles at 200 millimeters to focus on anything. Yeah. So, I mean, I tried that today in the game of cricket. I was, I was fo um, photographing for the for the club and, mm -hmm. yeah, it struggled. It really struggled <laughs> up close. And this is on the, on the Z body? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, try, I basically got it with the uh, manual override. Mm -hmm. I basically gave up. <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to get autofocus to work for someone that was too close. Yeah, yeah. Because I was just trying to get like a really tight headshot for someone that was you know, at the two hundred mil, and it was just not not happening. Was, was not playing. Was not playing my game. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Well, that's pretty cool. I um, I I did have one other thing I wanted to mention with that. That's that I mm. and this is more of one of it's. It was sort of like an epiphany, and and an epiphany that I had late in the game so last episode because i re-listened to the last episode in, as preparation for this one and one of the comments i made in the last episode was regarding um the number of stops of light you get within body image stabilization mm -hmm. the, the thing that i that did not occur to me at the time but i've it has since dawned on me as i said as an epiphany is that in body image stabilization is effectively pointless above a certain shutter speed mm -hmm. um because what I didn't realize is that, so, I mean, if you've got, uh, if you're trying to capture action like I am going in that, in a basketball, into a basketball court, the lighting's terrible, but you still want to capture it at least. Um, I, I try for one, one thousand, if I can get away with it mm -hmm. of a second, because I don't want any motion blur. Right. And the difference is, yeah. And the difference is astounding. If you can go one, one thousand, one, one, one thousand six hundred. You know, I I can I can't go any higher than that because then the ISO has to crank too much. Right. But in body image stabilization is not going to help you at those speeds, um, because you're not going to see any movement from your hands or your yourself moving at those speeds. So it's there to protect against um, your hands shaking and moving mm -hmm. when you're taking a, a lower shutter speed with a longer exposure. Um, and it just it's a silly thing, but I didn't I didn't realize that at the time. So I thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna get like an extra two or three stops of light of of, um, of of light out of it. And it's like, well, no, it just means that I can go lower, so I can in fact push it down instead of like the lowest I could take a photo you know, would be like the slowest would be one one hundredth maybe. I can now drop that to one fiftieth, let's say, mm -hmm. because of in body image stabilization. Right. But once I reach a certain you know, shutter speed, it does. It's it's it ceases to have any use, right? And that's something I didn't. And I, mean, I have thoughts on that. Yeah. So so, in body stabilization, you know, 
when you get past a certain shutter uh, shutter speed and also when you get past a certain fo focal length, right? Um, it, it there isn't as much benefit now if you have a native lens to that body uh and that let's say that lens like the seven the 200 to 600 has in uh, a stabilization built in and you turn it on uh the combination of the lens and the body they work together to sort of help stabilize um that lens itself now the shutter speed uh if you're past a certain shutter speed, hopefully you're not shaking enough. Because if you shake too much, I mean, it doesn't matter how much image stabilization you have, you 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 screw the picture, right? You know, if you're if you're shaking too much to for it to compensate for, you know, let's say five stops of of compensation, uh, you're. It doesn't matter how how good of a stabilization it is. If you're shaking too much, you, you're it's it's of no benefit anyways. Um, but the image the, the in body stabilizations are really meant. It are really meant to sort of save you for the lower shutter speeds, uh, slow shutter speeds. But at the same time, it's also meant to sort of. And I, I'm not so sure how I haven't read. I haven't really read research Nikon. Yeah. Uh, but Sony, um, and I know all. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Canon um, has it where the stabilizations um, with lens um, and body are supposed to sort of become this this one unit to you know, to sort of mm -hmm. uh, yeah. be greater than what it used to be when you had a DSLR. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what the Nikons do as, as well. Or rather, okay, that's what they say they do. Because I, I, okay. I, I have no native Z-mount right. lenses, so I can't tell you. Right. What I can tell you is through the FTZ, they don't. Mm -hmm. So um, if you've got, so as I said before, the 2500, it has image stabilization. Right. So in the in the actual lens. So if you turn that on, that forces the in-body stabilization to turn off mm. in the Z6. Okay. But um, if you then turn off the lens stabilization, the in-body stabilization will turn on. Okay. But you don't get to do both. Right. With with a Z series lens, you get to do both. Okay. No, I have a question. So, and this is I I need to do more research about about this with my setup because uh, the do you know if you if you were to turn on the body, sorry, the lens in a Z system, um, stabilization for it? Can you turn the body stabilization off? Hmm, not sure. Because the thing is that for my Sony system, which is weird, right? I I thought, okay, I have stabilization on for the lens, and I go in the camera system to turn off the stabilization of the body, and with that lens, there's no option to turn off stabilization in the body. If the lens stabilization is on, the body stabilization is on, which is really weird. Well, my understanding is that that's the case of the Nikon as well, is that, is that okay. it's either you've got stabilization or you don't. And mm. if you connect in a Z-mount lens, I think, I mean, I, I could stand correct. I could, I, I might be wrong, but I, I... It probably is the same. I seem to recall it reading probably that. probably is the same. Unless there's a way for me to find, uh, you know, some sort of override in the in the body. So far, I haven't found it yet. Hmm. Because I was I was just trying to I was trying to sort of do some tests, right? And I wanted to say to see, okay, in in body stabilization off, and lens stabilization on, mm -hmm. just to see if if there is a you know if it is a benefit to the two of them working together versus the body not having it on, and there was no way for the, hmm. the body to be off. Yeah, I do. I do wonder about that exactly, and I also wonder why it would have to be 
Right. Either or, you know, with the with the EF mount, I don't understand why. Um, unless of course there is no reason why it's other than a marketing thing. Well, I'm I'm wondering actually because if the thing is that if you have if you have stabilization in the body on, mm. and then you have stabilization in the lens on, and the two don't really talk, right? So do you you might have a system where one is stabilizing stabilizing sort of the effects of your hand out here and the other one is stabilizing the effects of your hands closer maybe the two of them might sort of sort of conflict with each other um mm. because you know like one is basically you know when the, the lens to your body i mean the camera to your body is stabilized by your body and your you know your head yeah. the lens being out there sort of slightly sways mm. and if you have the two of them talking to each other at least they can work together but if the z to the f to z adapter doesn't doesn't actually make the two of them become one unit maybe that's why nikon just said it's easier for them to just say body or lens in terms of fx versus mm. you know z I, i'm not sure I, I i need to do some more research in that one to be honest maybe we'll uh mm. yeah we'll we'll talk about that some other some other time when i've had some more time to dig into it and, and you have as well but I, I i would be curious to understand the uh the logic behind it right same but um i guess uh because I didn't have too much else I wanted to cover. I guess I do. I just want to quickly mention that um, a comparative just before before I wrap up my um, mm. wrap wrap it up. Um, the Z6 to the D500. For those that are curious, you know I've done the comparison now for indoor basketball, and I can effectively push the D500. It starts to get a little bit too noisy and a bit too grainy. Um, not wishing to get into that debate either. <laughs> um, but anyhow. Um, around about the, I think the ISO is anything lower than about is it 2000. I'm trying to remember the setting. Um, but I can go as low as 6,400 on the uh, Z6 too mm-hmm. without noticing, without, without getting it. So if I go below that, it gets really, it becomes more noticeable. Amazing. 6,400. <laughs> so it's, I know. I just couldn't believe it. I had it down to um, five thousand, and I'm I've been I play between the shutter speed and the ISO, mm-hmm. and so I'm still on the fence as to which is better because I think I, I think that going for a one one thousand shutter as a and then a uh, an ISO five thousand is a better option, mm-hmm. uh, and that's at f one point eight on the eighty five mil prime, but. If I go the other way and say, well, I want to go to a one six one six one one sixteen sixteen hundredth, uh, and uh, then I drop the ISO to sixty four hundred um, to get that extra light back, mm-hmm. then it starts to be sort of like, well, am I pushing to be too noisy now, um, and am I really going to see much of an improvement in reduction in motion blur by going to a faster shutter? Mm. So the jury's out. I'm still playing. It's only been two months. I've taken photos of, I think, about six games at this point, mm-hmm. um, which has been enough for me to settle on that. Mm-hmm. But I, I need more time, obviously, just, you know. And it'll be interesting if I do pick up a 70 to 200 millimeter lens at some point in the future mm-hmm. um, because that will be a constant aperture f2.8, whichever way I choose to go. Yeah. So I'm going to lose stops of light there. Yeah. So I'm going to have to make that hard choice 
at again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would probably shoot your lens now at two point eight and 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 see, mm. you know, like make it like your bot your bot your floor right, just and, and see if uh, mm-hmm. where you know if you're comfortable with with uh, with that. Yeah, I have done it a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I will say one of the other things I do love about the mirrorless is that the electronic viewfinder correctly mm-hmm. oh yeah shows you the the light the illumination you're going to get based on the settings you've got up to a point yep so if i if i crank the iso up and down the brightness of the electronic viewfinder goes mm-hmm. up and down yeah yeah do that with a dslr <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's right yeah can't do that can you no, no you can't <laughs> there you go so i think it's fair at this point in closing to say that my conclusion is that mirrorless is definitely the future. Mm-hmm. Um, although admittedly I said that many years after you already had said that. So <laughs> there you go. That's not revelation, but you know, Hey, uh, I think that there are so many more advantages to mirrorless that it is obvious to me that um, yeah, DSLRs are going to die. It's mm-hmm. only a matter of time and probably not a very long time. I think that, we may see a small number of DSLRs come out um, in the major brands and then it's going to become rather like the different sized formats of sensors now mm-hmm. where, you know, you'll have maybe maybe Hasselblad or <laughs> Leica or whoever, like so some of the more, how do I call them, artsy brands? I don't know. Ones yeah, where the they're... Niche, the niche brands. Yeah, very niche. And the majors like Canon and Nikon, they might release another one or two. Yeah. But that'll be probably the last ones they ever release, I would think. Yeah, I, I would I would I would agree. I'm actually surprised we we you know, I mean yeah, I think Panasonic, Olympic uh, Olympus and, and Sony have proven that mirrorless was viable a long time ago. Um and then when the Z system came out, um and the R system came out, especially Z2, mm. uh, and the R system came out, like, it's inevitable. It's like, there's no way anyone could look at that and say, I'm, I'm going to go buy a, a D5 instead of, a, you know, like a, a Z6-2. Yeah, exactly right. If you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on the Fediverse at chidgy at engineer.space, uh, on Twitter at John Chidgy or on Word, or the network at engineered underscore net. I'd personally like to thank Solver by Aqualia for sponsoring the Engineered Network. You've tried a calculator and a spreadsheet, but if you haven't tried Solver yet, you're missing out on a great app that fits perfectly with the way your brain actually thinks. Solver 3 for Mac is available from the solver.app website as well as through the Mac App Store. If you use the URL in the show notes, it helps out the show. So please use that URL in the show notes to learn more about this amazing app. Check it out today. I'd personally like to thank ManyTricks for sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember to specifically visit this URL, manytricksalloneword.com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. If you're enjoying Pragmatic and want to support the show, you can by supporting our sponsor or by becoming a premium supporter. We're edging closer to our monthly goal to go advertising free across the network, but we can only do that with your help. You can find details at engineer.network slash pragmatic to learn how you can help this show to continue to be made. Big thank you to all of our supporters and a special thank you to our silver producers, Mitch Bilger, John Whitlow, Kevin Kosh, Shane O'Neill, Oliver Steele, Leslie Law-Chan, Hafthor, Jared and Bill. And a special thank you to both of our gold producers, Stephen Bridal 
and our producer known only as R. Pragmatic is a podcasting 2.0 enhanced show and with the right podcast player, you'll have episode locations, enhanced chapters and real-time subtitles on select episodes and you can also stream Satoshis and Boost with a message if you like. Um, There's details on how along with the new Boostergram leaderboard on our website. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with Clay, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? Uh, If I'm anywhere online, just look for CW Daily and you'll find me. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much. So um, once again, a thank you to all of our supporters and a big thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, And as always, um, thanks for coming on the show, Clay. It's been great to have you back on. It was a blast. Thank you so much. And by the way, the episode is uh, episode 101. I'm going to go listen to Pragmatic 101 Astrophotography. So if any listeners haven't listened yet, go listen. Cool. Thanks, Matt.